Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily Season 2, Episode 287 for October 14th, 2023. Tonight, we're going to discuss Fire Ring, Mining Wyoming, Halloween Candy, Seinfeld Reboot, AI Exposed, Federal Firefighters, One Piece, Autobots, Born Again, and exposed environmentals. Next, eventually. Okay, things were a little wonky. Um, so I am Merwat. That is hometown.com, and up there is the Ring of Sentience, trying to increase its fidelity so that there's more response there. Um, in the visualizer, not to, not the sentient AI, but that's a sentient AI up there. That's, <laughs> that too. <laughs> <laughs> that's the visual representation of the sentient AI that uh, powers uh, hometown is its security apparatus. Uh, that right behind me is uh, the the uh, power generator. Uh, so when it stops, I stop, it stops, stream stops, everything stops and we don't want that. So we want to keep that humming. So be sure to go out and tell people about hometown.com, hometown here on Twitch. So twitch.tv slash hometown and YouTube and the podcast. Just do a search for hometown. You'll find it. Um, I told somebody uh, a couple of days ago. Just look for Marowat. And uh, they're like, what? And I said, yeah, you'll find me. It's it's okay. Just search for Marowat. And uh, well, we'll see. I, I, I did it in a vacuum and I don't know if they actually went searching and we'll see if they find me. Yeah, because uh, they didn't write down an email address. They didn't write down anything. Uh, but they know that I run hometown. <laughs> so we'll see if that kind of guerrilla marketing really works. Uh, I don't know what to say. Uh, but I have a lot to say about these 10 articles. So why don't we get into it? Sounds good. The very first article is I missed my cue is over in Hatch Ideas. Crowds cheer as Ring of Fire Eclipse moves across the Americas, stretching from Oregon to Brazil. Um, I had a, a small group of people today, um, both hmm, in the number of people and in stature, because they were small. It makes more sense if you know what I'm talking about. Um, but <laughs> so uh, they were doing something else entirely. So I ran into their event and said, hey, y'all know that there's a total solar eclipse taking place outside of hometown. And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I interrupted their event to show them the complete solar eclipse that isn't going to be near 
the other half of the United States. So if you, or if you were being rained on at the moment <laughs> that the eclipse took place, you didn't get to see anything, not even a partial. You were just inundated with water. Um, so yeah, it, it was quite intriguing. And then somebody tried to um, correct me and say that it's every 20 years or something like that. Well, okay. I don't want to get into a bunch of technical discussion, but anyway, annular solar eclipse, total eclipse. You get the entire ring around it. If you're in a certain region and this, I don't know if it's happened before, but I don't recall them actually tracking on a map in real time, like in real time, a precise area that the complete eclipse was going to map through. Um, I know that they've always I don't had remember like, that either from previous ones. Yeah. They've had these little swipes that show where it's going across the map and you know, the concentric rings of you'll see this much, that much, however much of the eclipse or, you know, portion of the eclipse as a partial eclipse. Um, but they had a really neat, I was, you could stream it on YouTube and watch it in real time. So it was a lot of fun uh, to watch this thing happen in multiple States <laughs> until now. Yeah. That was what was really cool. Like you could see it in one location and then they'd switch to another location and you'd get to see it kind of a, again. Yeah. You know, it fulfills, uh, kind of a, I, I don't know, really a dream. It's more like a shower thought, but I always had this really like shower thought idea about being in a plane and flying perpetually so that you were always seeing the sunset, you know, for as long as possible. Um, and I, I thought about that with this, you know, can you imagine traveling fast enough so that you could be perpetually in that shadow. I bet you there's like a gumball rally. It'd be pretty of. amazing. I think you would have to drive a thousand miles an hour though, to, to like stay but in you it. You might be able to do that in a plane. I suppose. Yeah. Maybe. Pretty cool. So this article is uh, put together by the AP, but it was posted at CNBC. So there's no real byline. But uh, I was witness to a lot of these cheers via uh, the uh, NASA live stream on YouTube. Cheers erupted among crowds in Oregon and New Mexico on Saturday as a rare ring of fire eclipse of the sun that had millions across the Americas waiting with anticipation began putting on a spectacular show. There was one stream that got highlighted on the NASA stream where you could actually see solar flares coming off of the top oh, wow. right corner of the image. Um, and they were massive. Just, yeah. I've seen solar flares where they're like, these are massive solar flares and these were massive solar flares. And if it was actually being captured like that in real time, whatever camera they were using was spectacular then because not even the one that was being used for streaming the event, um, on YouTube, then, which I thought was the NASA stream. Did it have that imagery? So I don't know what was going on there, but it was pretty damn amazing. Um, as totality began in Eugene, Oregon, Uznaz combined with groans of disappointment as the eclipse was intermittently vi visible, the sun's light, poking through cloud cover from behind the moon only a couple of times or only at times. 
Um, there's a video out there of somebody who witnessed the uh, eclipse by looking at cement ground, like concrete um, bricks or concrete walkway and the trees that were above them was creating the little pinhole effect. So there were like thousands of eclipses taking place right there on the ground. <laughs> it was pretty neat. Um, I don't have that link, but. And I thought the neatest thing was the hot air balloon festival at the oh, same yeah. time and location as the eclipse. I thought that was a really cool way to see it. And it was accidental. Yeah, that was pretty neat. Yeah, I saw that too. So it was really neat. And, um, uh, unfortunately, if you were an inhabitant of, uh, Omtown immediately, it's like standing or sitting in, uh, the mayoral mansion, then you weren't able to see it any other way than through a uh, YouTube stream, because that's just the nature of Omtown. We're trapped in the lines. So, um, if you are interested in hanging out, be sure to tell a friend and we can talk about all of this kind of stuff every day at 8 PM. Um, it, er, er, <laughs> we're not going to see this on the other half of the United States until 2039. That's the next. Right. We're going to, yeah, we're going to have a, in April, there's going to be, um, a total, but it's not going to be an annular. I don't think. Right. Um, Oh, there's one in 20. You're right. In 39. the United States, there is one. If we go to Antarctica in 2026. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's so accessible to a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so the, what's really interesting about this is that the annular eclipse that took place today is going to go the other way in X marks the spot, like in the heart of Texas, the path went this way across the U the Western U S and now in 2039, it's going to come across this way and the paths actually cross because we're tilted a little bit. Um, and our orbits result in this little X pathway, but That's strange. Yeah. Years, years, a decade apart. Um, so it'll be neat to actually see this take place in 2039. Um, you know, everything lining up perfectly. Uh, people on the East Coast from central United States over to the East Coast, all the way up into um, New England, really. It, it wraps all the way up there. It's pretty cool. All right, folks, let's keep on going. Got a lot of news to get through. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in hometown daily us officials say they're worried a chinese bitcoin mine in uh, wyoming will pose a national security threat new york times reports uh, well i mean maybe a threat to wyoming using all that power <sighs> you know they need it well, for their not, evs well, <laughs> but they're not using it on their evs <laughs> the two evs that are in the country are in the state are going to need all of that power from the chinese owned bitcoin mine a Bitcoin mine in, in Wyoming is on the radar of Pentagon officials. The mine is connected to multiple Chinese uh, companies and sits across from a Microsoft data center. Oh, sh shaving cream. Uh, I had to turn that into ASMR there for a minute. The company said that its placement near the data center, which supports the Pentagon, was unrelated. So wait, the data center 
supports the Pentagon and it's right next to it. <laughs> and that sounds very accidental. Yeah. And why did they allow it to be built? Well, you know, you can't stop business. That's an American. Pentagon officials are monitoring a Bitcoin operation in Wyoming that sits across from the data center that supports nearby military base and are worried that the owner's ties to China could pose a national security threat. According to the New York Times, Microsoft believed the location could allow the Chinese government to pursue full spectrum intelligence collection operations <laughs> directed at the data center. Uh, so this article is over at Business Insider. Hannah Gedehun is the author. Um, the the three statements that are their summary takeaway kind of thing is the company said that its placement near the data center, which supports the Pentagon, was unrelated. Right. Okay. Let's see. Microsoft has no direct indications of malicious activities by this entity. Entity. However, pending further discovery, we suggest the possibility that the computing power of an industrial level crypto mining operation, along with the presence of an unidentified number of Chinese nationals in direct proximity to Microsoft's data center and one of three strategic missile bases in the U.S. provides significant threat vectors. <laughs> Is that all? <laughs> Is that the 823 no shit news? Uh, let's see. 823. That's right. 823. No shit news came early. Um, okay, so I can hear the refrain right now, you know. Well, you know, the, there isn't anything overt. How can you already trigger and, you know, label them as a possible significant threat vector? Um, well, let's see. It really depends. So, like, political affiliations are really insidious. And so you can deny having that political affiliation, deny, 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 but in spirit, you really do have that political affiliation. And when it's strategically advantageous to deny the people that you would be slighted by you saying that you're not affiliated with the organization, just accept it. Okay. Why? Because you're basically a clandestine operative and you're insinuating your way into somebody's good graces or under their radar. And in this case, it could be underneath the government's radar. So when you ask, kind of like the TikTok CEO, hey, are you tied to the Chinese Communist Party? No, no I'm not. But then you call up senior leadership or your boss in the chain of authority uh, in the CCP and you go, Hey, I really got them, you know, ha, 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 ha. I told them that I'm not part of it, but you know, I'm part of it. That's that could be this, right? It's not like everything is, you know, people stormed the politicians that are in seats in, in federal government right now have said that they weren't conspiring to overthrow the government, but they were part of January 6th, right? Yet when you when you sign up to work for the federal government you fill out paperwork that says that you're not going to attempt to overthrow the federal government <laughs> i do wonder if anybody marks yes there yeah and then when you get punted they give you the reason while well, you're trying to overthrow the government 
But then you say, no, I was just being honest. You want an honest person working for you, don't you? I wonder if that's actually grounds for uh, a legal dispute because you were fired for being honest. And in all other cases, that would be admirable. But because you say on the form, no, I'm not going to overthrow the government. Yeah. So Cheyenne, Wyoming, Senator uh, uh, was one such time per the Times. The Times reported that the mining operation is linked to five different companies with one, Bit Origin Limited, previously registered as a pork processing company in the Caymans. <laughs> uh, I mean, that sounds so clear cut. The other thing that concerns me is that China doesn't allow Bitcoin mining. Right. See, but you know, let's let other countries come in and use resources for that in the U.S. See, I was thinking, you know, that seems like well, they also don't allow TikTok. TikTok isn't allowed in China either, but it's allowed in the United States. That's true. So, I mean, that in and of itself, and and the reason is because it can corrupt the culture. Yet you're generating revenue off of the cultures and allowances of other countries. So how is that not like the, uh, the epitome of hypocritical? I just, I don't get it. But then when you, when you say something like that, then you get called out. Well, you all are, it's a, what about ism, you know? Well, I can tell you that I'm not sitting there promoting why because i don't think that it's that it's possible it's going to have to be from the inside a cultural shift but the last time there was a cultural shift you ended up with tiananmen square ta-da right so i i'm not about to sit there and go from the outside raw raw united states we're gonna bring Bitcoin mining operations into China. Why? Because they will, with an iron fist, stop my operation from even being close to a, an operation, right? Like some other, a military base. No, there's no way in hell I'll get close with my operation, let alone a data center that feeds into a military base. Pretty sure every tactical data center is inside a military base anyway. At any rate, I, I just find it really interesting. The complexity of this um, and the coinkadink nature of having a Bitcoin mining operation, oh, a stone throw away from a data center that feeds into military bases. And I, I struggle with the idea of just going, okay, we're going to have to punt y'all out of here because things are a little bit too odd. But then the optics of it is, oh, you're stepping on my freedoms. It's almost like you can't be free. Otherwise, people will abuse the freedoms. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, Well, and I don't know. I'm thinking more simply because um, of the weather balloon right. incident, for example. Like, to me, that's the information you need to know. <laughs> yep. I, I just think the bigger creepiness factor here is that the political alignment is insidious. You can deny it 
And unless there is somebody standing there with paperwork where you signed it and said that you're a part of it, you can deny and deny and deny. Okay, let's keep on going though. All right, we talked about it over here. So the next article is over in Hatch Ideas. Uh, Halloween is candy's biggest holiday. Here's how Snickers maker Mars prepares for trick-or-treaters. The National Retail Federation predicts consumers will spend $3.6 billion on Halloween candy this year. And what everybody doesn't know is that's all in hometown. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That was a joke. (laughs) <laughs> that's Marwat's supply um you know though what what i would i'm sure this is happening right now there are people out there that are like hey here's last year's and the year before's in the year before's and i wrote on it what the price is see i i wish that i had that forethought right like i just don't i don't care that much right like it's not on my radar perpetually um but like people have reported in the past, the price is going up and it's getting smaller. So not only do you have inflation of the original price, you have shrinkflation of the benefit of that increase in cost. So it's not like it got bigger. It got smaller and more expensive. Amelia Lucas over at CNBC put the article together. Halloween is the biggest day of the year for candy makers such as Mars. The National Retail Federation predicts consumers will spend $3.6 billion on Halloween candy this year. And the Mars candy portfolio includes Snickers, Twix, Three Musketeers, and M&M's. Yum. I want chocolate now. Oh, God. I. It's horrible when I start talking about stuff and, and people start throwing in their comments and somehow it ends up relating to food and I'm, oh my God, I'm hungry. When it becomes candy, oh my God, I'm an ant. I, I have to have candy. So I, I try, I'm trying to buck that trend, but uh, it's killing me. So quote, we know that during difficult economic times, consumers are particularly interested in enjoying kind of, uh, in enjoying kind of the simple things in life, like Halloween, that was hard the way they phrase that. It was very casual conversation there. Hershey CEO Michelle Buck told investors in July on the company's quarterly conference call what wasn't That's said. That's not where you expect a statement like that. <laughs> to, to shift, so right? Casual. Yeah. Um, but what wasn't said was, so we're going to jack up the price so that people pay more and they get less and you investors get more money on the other side. That's not what they actually said though. Anyway, I don't think that was part of the conference call. Um, yeah, really like the brutal alternate reality truth, you know, like they tell you the actual motivation. Unlike Hershey family owned Mars doesn't report its financial results but disclosed nearly 45 billion in annual revenue in 2021 while best known for candy portfolio that includes M&M's, Snickers, Three Musketeers and Twix. Mars also makes ice cream, chewing gum and pet food. I wonder if sometimes they mess it all up and the ice cream tastes like <laughs> chewing gum and pet food. I was thinking the pet food was like Snickers flavored. 
Here is Tim LaBelle, Mars Wrigley's president of sales, laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, so what items did we not make enough of? What items may maybe went off trend? Those are questions that are all discussed this year. Mars has a couple of tricks up its sleeve, including Skittles shriekers. Each bag includes classic Skittles with a few sour flavor ones that look the same as the rest of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. That's actually fun, but it's so easy mode in terms of. Well, probably not logistically. They have to get the machine to like just throw a few sour ones in. Companies also leaning onto into uh, online uh, shopping. Last year, roughly a third of consumers bought Halloween items online. This year, Mars has teamed up with digital convenience store GoPuff. What? Never even heard of GoPuff. To make sure everyone has enough candy to pass out on Halloween, consumers whose stash is running low can visit MarsWrigleyHalloween.com and receive a delivery of free backup supply of Mars candy in under an hour in participating locations while supplies last. Wow. Free? It says free. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Retailers Insights may lead Mars to pivot its plan for the next Halloween season, which starts just nine months later before temperatures cool and pumpkin spice lattes return to Starbucks. Yeah, just make coffee at home and make your own pumpkin spice lattes, folks. Dramatically right, you cheaper. Can save on the costs. <laughs> yep. And it really doesn't. Today's coffee makers are extremely fast. You fill up the tank, put your... Although the one that Mayor Watt has right now is... I'll have to, I have to go get the model and, and tell you, but I don't even know the brand off the top of my head anymore. Um, but it's horrible. I've had it replaced and it's still, it's now doing what it did before. So it has a real engineering problem with its water tank connection. So basically the, the water tank connects like gravity, it clicks into place. But whatever's going on with the coffee maker's bladder, it just kind of loses it and and starts like it's a nerve. It's I'm really nervous and I can't make coffee, you know, and it just drains like a nervous out. Puppy. Yeah, it just kind of piddles right there on the counter. Ugh. You wake up to a machine that just has a, a noticing out of water. Yeah, because it's all on my damn counter. Anyway, back to the article. Those moments include picking up a variety pack of candy during back-to-school shopping, snacking during spooky movie nights, and the all-important trick-or-treating on Halloween. Still, 48% of Halloween candy sales happened during the last week of October, according to LaBelle. Those last-minute shoppers mean that candy manufacturers and retailers need to be ready to meet that demand. Somehow, I just think that it's going to increase the costs, and that's it. You know? Yeah, that's probably not the best time to buy your candy. Yeah, that supply and demand, as it were. All of this candy would be, it is around all year long. And it is shelf stable for a considerable amount of time. Just don't put it in the refrigerator. If you put it in the refrigerator, it's going to dry it out. Um, and you'll end up opening it up and it'll have, it'll be 
what do you call it? It'll look like um, white, like whatever desiccated. powder. It's kind of like ashy kind of covering on it. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> it's it dry. That's what it is. It just dries it out and and it makes it um, chalky. That's the it's like chalk in that area because it can go more than just the surface. Anyway, um, still, I'll eat it. <laughs> it's good. What can I say? <laughs> still candy. It still candy. You had me at candy. All right. Did you want to add anything else to this? No, I don't have anything else. But I want candy. So this next article is over in the continuity report uh, channel, but it was aggregated from screen rant. Seinfeld's reboot would have one massive advantage over the 1990s sitcom revivals. Excuse me. So television reboots are always risky, but a Seinfeld revival has the potential to fix the sitcom's controversial uh, series finality. Uh, One of the uh, greatest sitcoms of all time, Seinfeld premiered in 1989 and ran for nine seasons. Seinfeld was co-created by Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld and stars Jerry as a fictionalized version of himself. The story revolves around the uh, daily life of the stand-up comedian and his three friends living in New York City. It actually is a show about nothing, and that's what they say at the very last um, statement of this uh, snippet Seinfeld is famously known for a show about nothing, but make no mistake. It's a masterpiece of innovation and wit. And I agree. I think it was a brilliant show. Uh, R- Rachel Coifey, I think maybe it's just, I don't know how to pronounce that name. Joffy, maybe, I don't know. Um, I gave it a try. If you know how to pronounce their name, uh, let me know before we get there. Let me throw that article into Oink. So it says, uh, the deck statement here says reboots are always tricky, but due to the poor reception of the original ending, Seinfeld has a major advantage over the returning 1990s sitcoms. Um, the, can I pause that? Yeah. Yeah. It was a great show, but it had an awful last episode. Did it though? It basically had the, the ending that would be apropos for Seinfeld. It has the reputation of being an awful episode. Right. And that's because people expected more, but why? It is what it is. Yeah, I um, know. It's probably in line with... It just wasn't... Like certain episodes of Seinfeld were hysterically funny, but I don't so, know that the last episode lived up to it. Yeah, the, the summary of the um, article, one of the statements is, while the details are uncertain, there are indications of something happening with Seinfeld, potentially providing fans with the closure they've been longing for. Despite the risk, rebooting Seinfeld is still a challenging move, as there are high expectations from viewers and possibly, or and a possibility of um, making the new ending worse. And I think the time between the last ending and the new start is so great that I think it's the air is, is too, um, it's just too thin up here. I mean, there's just not, there isn't enough humor in Seinfeld's long tail after the show has ended for people to attach to it again, unless the writing is spectacular and accounts for it, people are going to be disconnected from it. 
Well, and also you have the problem of the actors are much older than in the original series. So are you going to bring in new actors and then people are going to be bent out of shape if it's not the right people, but if it's the same people and they're decades older, <laughs> it's, you know, <laughs> it's not going to have the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I was. Context. That's what I was. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just said exactly what I was kind of implying, um, which is everybody is disconnected from it now. The, the story has been broken. It's final already in, as it is. Um, and now if these actors return, um, if they all return, unless everything is just perfectly aligned, it's going to miss its mark um, because people are going to be looking at it going, well, none of these people are those people. Um, it's almost like a time travel you know, scenario where, uh, you know, at the end of Harry Potter, where you get to meet everybody involved and they're much older. Um, and you just kind of go, what the hell? Um, which it was good in the writing sense, but the optics of it were just not, unless you were a, a super fan, you didn't really care for the ending. Um, Anyway, recently, Jerry Seinfeld hinted at a potential series reboot while on stage at a comedy show in Boston. Of course, bringing back a hit sitcom from the 90s is not a new concept. The current Frasier reboot airing on Paramount Plus has received mixed reviews. Exactly. There's another one. Um, what is the... It was the uh, Night Court. Night Court? Yep. Night Court rebooted. And I tried to watch it but it was just kind of meh um, because it was contrived. It, it, it wasn't a natural creation like, oh, I can totally buy into this. You know, suddenly um, <laughs> the former judge's daughter is returning as a judge to the same night court that he was presiding over in New York or something like that. I can't remember the court um, location, but um, and I loved night court. All of the charisma of all of the actors that were there um was amazing to me um and then it just kind of went meh um well, that's kind of the problem if the show's too good it's almost impossible to reboot successfully yeah so in the controversial seinfeld series finale which aired on may 14th 1998 fans watched as jerry seinfeld george uh, with Jason Alexander and Elaine and Kramer went to jail. The two-part finale was implausible and upsetting to most fans, making it one of the most hated finales of all time. A Seinfeld reboot can fix the awful season finale, which gives the sitcom an advantage that Fraser didn't Fraser didn't have. Not Brendan Fraser. It's Fraser. <laughs> Not the mummy. Correct. Um, didn't have uh, given the positive reception of the original ending if seinfeld returns it'll have an opportunity to provide the satisfying conclusion the original show didn't yeah i just don't see it um and the real reason the my understanding is the reason why seinfeld ended when it did and the way it did is because contract negotiations just kind of fell flat um and they couldn't uh, they couldn't break out ownership enough. Um, and so people were, their careers were basically stalled. Even in this hit show, they 
couldn't get more uh, for themselves from it, just the way that it was structured, apparently. Um, so I don't know. Y'all can go over and uh, watch the rest or read the rest of this uh, article. I think that a brilliant content writer right there. Um, that's Larry David, right? Yeah, yes. that's Larry David. I'm like, am I... Am I hallucinating? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think everything he's that not he touches. Normally in the pictures with the cast. <laughs> yeah, um, I think everything that he touches is hilarious. Just absolutely hilarious. Okay, let's go on to the next article. Uh, this next one, it's going to be really quick. Um, I think it might have to do with that uh, Chinese Bitcoin mining facility in Wyoming. Probably not, but I like a good conspiracy story. Um, Microsoft AI involuntarily exposed a secret, giving access to 38 terabytes of confidential data for three years. <laughs> I mean, the timing of this article seems like it could be related to the other article. So this is a one-two punch, by the way, because just yesterday we talked about Microsoft AI bug bounty program, where if you could get it to That's compromise great. itself... Well, then what is this? This is a the $15,000 bug bounty, like right out of the gate. The Wiz research team recently discovered that an over-provisioned SAS token had been lying exposed on GitHub for nearly three years. The token granted access to a massive 38 terabyte trove of private data. The Azure, Stor Azure, Azure storage uh, contained additional secrets such as private SSH keys hidden within the debt disk backups of two Microsoft employees. This revelation underscores the importance of robust data security measures. <laughs> I giggle because that's typically an afterthought bolted on um, to whatever apparatus is the minimum viable product for a company. Oh shit, you know, we should probably make it secure. Well, this article comes from Thomas Segura over at dzone.com. Um, we don't typically highlight this because it tends to be a little bit on the higher tech side. Um, but I thought that this was brilliant coming from the previous article that we were talking about getting AI to compromise itself. Um, so according to this, what happened, um, Wiz research recently disclosed a data exposure incident found on Microsoft's AI GitHub repository on June 23rd, 2023. The researchers managing the GitHub uh, used an Azure storage sharing feature through an SAS token to give access to a bucket of open source AI training data. This token was misconfigured, giving access to the account's entire cloud storage rather than the intended bucket. <laughs> oh, minor error there. <laughs> Again, it's one of those ones where the intent, like Heartbleed, the intent was supposed to be that, and what you got was that. Um, and if you don't recall Heartbleed, Heartbleed is part of a, a um, security apparatus. Um, uh, how do I dis how do I explain this? So you basically get a an algorithm to encrypt data while it's in use and 
what ended up happening was Heartbleed was a misconfigured configuration file, programming uh, file that was compiled with a little snippet removed, allowing the amount of data to be exposed from being a little bit to a whole lot simply by requesting a heartbeat. And the that little pulse of data revealed stuff that was unencrypted in memory. It, it shouldn't have revealed passwords and whatnot, but anything in that segment of memory would be revealed to whoever was parsing the results. That's kind of what this is. A little file <laughs> misconfigured by a human. This isn't a technical break. This is a human misconfiguration. So again, it's the human, just like heartbeat and heart bleed. Um, the, the, uh, the file in Heartbleed had a hashtag on it, commenting out the line of code that should have been compiled. And a person just oopsed and didn't remove that comment block. Anyway, pretty serious oops. Yep. Um, it, and it really did have some uh, unintended consequences. So the storage comprised of 38 terabytes of data including a disk backup of two employees' workstations with secrets uh, like private keys, passwords, more than 30,000 internal Microsoft Teams messages. Oh, yeah. After disclosing the incident to Microsoft, the SAS, the SAS token was invalidated from its first commit to GitHub 2020 to its revoking nearly three years elapsed. So see the timeline presented by the Wiz research team. Yeah. So was any other data actually released during, did somebody else have the ability to use this or did it suddenly, you know, I'm, I'm really curious because the, the token expired, but it was still sitting there. So SAS token first committed to GitHub with an expiry date of 2021. It expired. Wiz research finds and reports the issue to MSRC. The token wait, invalidated. Wait, wait. The expiration date was updated to 2051. 51. Sorry. Yeah, it was updated to 2051, not 2021. So did anybody else access this between... 2021 and 2023 when Wiz Research finds it. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was a vulnerability, but was it actually discovered? Yep. So there's a lot more um, in this article. Um, it actually talks quite a bit about the security apparatus and at play here. So go and check it out if you're interested. Um, I suppose some people uh, are really interested in this. If you're in this domain, cybersecurity, then um, you'll find this interesting. Let's keep on going. Uh, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. A temporary pay bump for federal firefighters is slated to end in November, raising fears that up to 50% of the workforce could quit as the country faces more extreme wildfires. Oh, well, this is good timing. Yeah, well, all of this is, you know. Um, but my understanding is federal government is going to be, these are federal firefighters, by the way, my understanding. Okay. True. And so there are a lot of firefighters that are not federal. 
But I'm sure there are a lot of federal firefighters. Yeah. Uh, federal wildland firefighters could see sizable pay cuts if Congress doesn't step up soon. Many fear that they could have an exodus of firefighters at a time when the U.S. can least afford it. Ironically. In recent years, extreme weather events have necessitated robust responses to wildfires. Next month, thousands of federal firefighters may face a dreaded scenario that they've long sought to avoid. Hefty pay cuts. Well, you know, go and look at all of the people who aren't paying their taxes. You'll find that it isn't the middle class. (laughs) I was going to say that sounds like maybe the top 1% perhaps. Hmm. The people that can form $10 million healthcare funds and stash their millions away and then use that as leverage to capitalize something else at much lower interest rates than all you risky poor people. Yeah. So the article is actually uh, by John L. Dorman over at uh, businessinsider.com. Um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see because the federal budget is the major player here in why the government is on the verge of shutdown because there are a bunch of people that are utilizing it to um, using it as a stepping stone and leverage to control who's running the government. Um, But again, the middle class is paying their taxes. It's just a little bit. Because they, uh, each individual middle class person is only, they're living within their means and it's a, a lower amount per person. Probably not though, because what's ending up happening is the people that have all of their wealth have the ability to exploit loopholes and take advantage of other, you know, excursions out of the country to, to prevent Uh, their wealth from being taxed, except that all of that wealth generation is literally because of American society. So why aren't y'all paying back? (laughs) And don't say you're paying enough. No, you're exploit. When you can sit there and say that you've taken advantage of the tax system, that's kind of the antithesis of being a, a good citizen, you know? You know, uh, interstate travel is dependent on various taxes. Federal firefighting is keeping the borders strong is, uh, (laughs) you know, all of those people that are sitting there people complaining that there isn't enough border patrol and uh, protections and whatnot in place. It's because there's a myriad amount of source uh, resources that are being uh, delivered to myriad solutions. You, you, it's, you can't have border protections built out of hugs and bubbles. So you have to pay people. Federal firefighters are just one element of this. Then there's federal border protra- uh, protections and there's all kinds of other federal workers out there that need to get paid as well. Um, they're doing a tremendous imbalance in terms of how much money goes to each individual worker and the benefit that they provide it. It's typically eight to one. It's like they output eight, but
but only input get input from one you know what i'm saying the ratio is um has been demonstrated again and again and again by external auditors that civil servant workers um are definitely worth the salary so this is kind of ridiculous these firefighters deserve that pay bump considering how much they do and even when they're off duty not off duty but when they're not in peak firefighting um activity they are still on call for it so even if they're not you know actively putting out a fire they still deserve this pay bump to stay in place because at a moment's notice they're going to get activated and they have to put their you know big person pants on and go stomp out a fire I don't see a whole hell of a lot of people deciding that, you know, now's the day I'm going to go out and put out a forest fire. So pay these people. Last year, federal wildland firefighters were afforded additional pay through a short-term measure with the heightened salaries seen as a way to retain and draw in workers. But federal officials are now saying that the wave of firefighters could leave their position in search of better paying roles if the pay... I hmm. think I found the, the stat. I think there's 18,000 federal fire workers. Mm, interesting. Does it say that in the article at all? Nope. No, I that. had to find it elsewhere. Yeah, 18,000 doesn't seem like that much to be at the federal level, you know? I mean, it's a, a nationwide... I and I'm not sure I buy into that stat, but that's what I've located. Yeah. So after President Joe Biden boosted the minimum wage for wildland firefighters from 13 to 15 an hour, he's also pushed for a permanent pay bump. Congress later signed off on a pay raise of $20,000 a year or 50% of a base salary for firefighters. Base salary for firefighters is 40000 Yeah. Per the U.S. Yeah, Department of and Agriculture. And of course, with the current continuing resolution. Who knows, right? I they don't have a lot of time to figure that out. 30 um, days. It was 45 days from the the CR. Yeah, so. uh, November 17th is when they yeah. have to take action. Yeah, you got a month. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm sure anybody that is that has land that has um, brush and trees as a predominant uh, amount in their state they want these firefighters um and these federal firefighters can be relocated you they basically say hey can you move over here yeah sure and uh, you know can you fly out to this gig yeah sure um it and, and they're on board for it but what's kind of ridiculous is that it's forty thousand a year my god really forty thousand per the u.s department of agriculture the entry-level salary for a federal wildland firefighter is roughly $34,000 absent temporary pay, ban uh, pay increase. Pardon me. <coughs> That's ridiculously low. To me, it seems ridiculously low. It is, but I think a lot of salaries for essential positions um, starts out be on low. the lower end. Yeah, or starts out and stays low. Um, and then you're expected, you know, oh, well, you know, you really want to do your best for the country, right? That kind of thing. Come on. It's the same kind and of ideology. It's almost like poverty level pay, right? It is poverty level pay. Yeah. I mean, unless you're 
you don't have a family and you are living in your firehouse. Yeah, it is. So 29,000 is the, um, current looks like the current poverty level. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. All right. Well, good luck. Fight the good fight. I'm doing my part by talking about it. I can't do anything really to change the hearts and minds of people who aren't paying their taxes. And they find it as if it's an American dream to do that. You know, Hey, let's hobble the federal government more and more and then bitch that there aren't enough protections at the border. And yeah, pay your damn taxes. And there's going to be plenty of money in the system to pay the people that are protecting the borders. Yeah. Anyway, the next article is over in the continuity report. One piece broke live action anime, anime curse reflected on, uh, by Netflix showrunner net, uh, following the show's successful debut on the streamer, which I don't know why they call it. Why not just say Netflix for crying out showrunner, Steve Maida weighs in on why Netflix's one piece broke the live action anime curse. Okay. Sentient AI. I wonder how, God, how can I get that to actually, eh, we'll talk. We still haven't talked about your name, spoken about your name. We need to come up with a name so I can call you something, but yeah, it seems a little bit too, yeah. Although for Halloween, yeah, I don't think that's good. <laughs> so, um, you got to see the very first episode of one piece in two words. What would you say? Uh, wow, there's a lot of dead air. You mean how to describe it? Sure. No, well, I mean, how, how did you like it? Good entertainment. Good entertainment. All right. Well. I know that wasn't very eloquent, but it was like it was engaging. I only it said two words were allowed. <laughs> No, keep going. Go ahead. Oh no. <laughs> the sentient AI no, started I to power down. My, word limit. <laughs> <laughs> my large language model was limited to two words. Uh, I mean, it was entertaining. It was silly in places. Um, there was action in places, some comedy. Yeah. Very. But I didn't have any background on it. Yeah. And, and um, but it onboarded you really quick. Like you found out why he is the way Luffy, why Luffy is the way that he is. Um, sort of why he has this ambition, um, to be the best pirate. Um, you started getting introduced to these characters that are bigger and larger than life. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot more to the show. Um, so I guess, uh, well, cause it's an anime that's turned live action. Um, and it's a, a long running anime. So, um, it chronicles the adventures of aspiring King of the pirates, monkey D Luffy and his crew, the straw hat pirates. Uh, the Netflix show marked the latest live action adaptation from the streaming platform following 2017's death note movie and the 2021 Cowboy Bebop show, which I absolutely loved what was there. And it actually 
shut down. So Cowboy Bebop is also an anime that turned and so I'm hoping that <laughs> One Piece breaks the mold. Um, but who knows? It's been renewed for a second season, but a second season doesn't guarantee a, a long life. So Grant Hermans from Screen Rant put this article together. And uh, uh, I, I dig the show. So you, you should all go and check it out. The involvement of creator Ichiro Oda uh, throughout the development and production played a crucial role in maintaining faithfulness to the original story. The actor that plays Luffy, by the way, really does a tremendously accurate embodiment of what I interpret based on the anime that I've seen um, of Luffy uh, as a real life character it's just spectacular just so over the top even the way that he holds his arms um it's kind of like wednesday adams not blinking the <laughs> right and her flat demeanor the embodiment of that character right um the the actor that does luffy and i don't know the name of the actor i it might be in here but i'm not sure Anyway, they do a tremendous job um, and it's not hyperkinetic to the point where you're like, I don't know what the hell's going on. Um, but I love the cinematography. I love the world building. Uh, I think everybody will enjoy this. Let me throw, I didn't throw this into the chat. So let me do that real quick. Did you want to add anything by chance? Um, I, I think all the actors in the show seem to bring something to it. I mean, whether they're, you know, the heroes or the villains or whatever, kind of, I think all of them kind of reel you in. Yeah, I'm not sure. They, they talk a lot about the, uh, like, comparison between, um, uh, One Piece and Cowboy Bebop and Death Note. But Death Note, it was open and shut. It was a movie and it was done. Cowboy Bebop, though, uh, I'm not sure what really brought them down. Um, but I, I, I can imagine that it was much more difficult to run this inexpensively, Cowboy Bebop. Um, because it was space and the sets had to be bigger and well not bigger but seemingly more complex um uh, at least that's my interpretation i don't know really what brought down Cow cowboy bebop um but it, it looks says like well, it went too far afield from the original cowboy bebop yes um yeah. because it said they were trying to create new stories and expand on certain character dynamics Right. ultimately alienated both newcomers and longtime fans and then death note also like changed out the setting and gotcha yeah I, and so i guess if you don't stay true to the if you don't stay faithful to the people that are loyal to the original content then you kind of get that death note yourself um death note is actually there's a demon that is empowered by a book it's a notebook and if you write a name in it, it'll actually appear and go and eliminate the people. 
Um, but it's actually a relationship between the wielder of the book and Death Note. Um, so Maida's feelings that not every manga or anime needs a live action adaptation um, carries some weight. His and Matt Owen's work on One Piece is proof that the, uh, with the right direction and care for source material, anything can find its audience. Given Netflix is pushing ahead with both Death Note 2 and live action show producer are produced by Stranger Things creators, the Duffer Brothers. Uh, one can hope the streamer learns the right lessons from the recent success on any. I don't even like referring to Netflix as a streamer. No, I don't either. It's so jarring to call it that. It's so diminishing. Anyway, um, let's keep going. We're um, running a little late for y'all. Um, Marwat turns into a pumpkin. So the next article is over in hometown daily. We are decades off from having self-driving cars that have the freedom to go anywhere. Autonomous vehicle boss says, um, I'm not sure. Uh, well, I, I truly do believe that we are way far off from go anywhere. Autonomous vehicles. Um, I think their name is Oaks. I mean, I think today we have availability to do that but we don't have enough safeguards in place right and that might be what they say in this article oxa i think their name or oha a ceo says that the industry is a long way from self-driving cars that can operate anywhere kevin jackson said collecting the huge amount of data needed to train a vehicle ai was the main issue it comes as car companies like cruise and tesla face questions over their self-driving tech there was a big traffic jam in uh, I think it was New York uh, recently because all of the cruise vehicles were like looking at each other and they wouldn't drive <laughs> because of some oh, no. yeah and so this whole intersection was just jam-packed with cruise vehicle I think it was cruise Tom Carter is the author over at Business Insider uh, Oaksa CEO Gavin Jackson said that Self-driving cars are a long way from being able to drive everywhere. Yeah, I mean, the, define drive everywhere. But I, I'm pretty sure that we could have self-driving cars as long as the map data is correct and it has been, an, it, it can and adequately interpret obstacles. Go ahead. I mean, and we don't mind if a pedestrian here and there gets run over. Hey, they knew what they were getting into when they started crossing the street. Speaking at the Google Cloud Next conference in London this week, OXA or OXA boss Gavin Jackson said that the industry is a long way from producing cars that can match or surpass human drivers and said that such vehicles would need to become local experts before they can be trusted to drive on public roads. Um, this is why I think that long haul trucking is an easy, um, uh, I guess hurdle to jump over. You have a last miler driver from wherever the port is to the outskirts of the city, um, where it transitions into an automated vehicle that hops on the road and drives you know, straight as an arrow to the other, wherever location is. And at the last mile, there is a driver there that does that as well. And is just versed on, you know, you need one driver and they can just take truck after truck after truck. 
leave the trailer or transfer the container over to another holding uh, station and it put it on the truck the last mile driver takes it and delivers it um i think that that would be great and then there isn't a trucker that's sitting on the road for 24 hours risking health to get stuff from the left to the right um a, a trucker could be local start a family have a, a local community be able to take a, a nap between shifts or between loads for crying out loud you deliver something you come back to the base station there isn't a, a gig just yet so you get a cat nap for 15 minutes and then a delivery comes and you drive again um I, I see no problem with that but automated driving could it's not drive everywhere though that's the thing no because they do they have to be subject matter experts everywhere in Basically, they have to know the roads in and out and no obstacles can stop them. They have to be able to navigate these so, obstacles. But we kind of have a premise here that our human drivers achieve that standard and they don't. <laughs> That's rude for a sentient AI to be saying to a human. I think humans do. Yeah, well, what is it? What's the stat? 50,000 fatal accidents or something like that are caused by humans. I'd have to go and find an actual stat, but like, uh, it's not mechanical failure that causes accidents. It's human derpiness, you know, they're drunk, they're distracted, they're stupid, they're whatever. Uh, and they, they cause accidents for crying out loud. Um, heck, uh, I, uh, wow. Okay. There's 6.4 million and change accidents in the U S each year. Right. 98% of those are caused by human error. Yeah. Yeah. I, the last stat that I, something like 50,000 fatalities are caused by vehicle accidents. Uh, the company has trialed its technology in refineries, solar farms, and mines, and announced partnerships with autonomous transport companies, Ever, Eversium and Beep to integrate Ox's self-driving software into passenger shuttles in Europe and the US. So I guess, good luck. Um, I would love to have RoboTaxis. It says RoboTaxi company Cruise received approval for to operate 24 seven in San Francisco, but agreed to cut its fleet of driverless taxis by half following several incidents of unmanned vehicles getting involved in accidents. Yeah, it was San Francisco, not New York that I was talking about. I saw a video of like, there were like 15 cruise vehicles all jammed in an intersection. It's kind of funny. Elon Musk, meanwhile, has faced controversy over Tesla's full dri uh, self-driving feature, which was launched in 2016 and allows users to automatically change lanes, recognize traffic uh, lights and park with critics arguing that it was deceptively named and suggesting that it poses a safety risk. Well, we know through uh, other discussions and disclosures that the marketing that led to it actually being authorized as being full self-driving was smoke and mirrors marketing bullshit. So anyway, um, Jackson, uh, Gavin Jackson said uh, to Insider that level five autonomous vehicles that can operate on public roads without human interface or interference are uh, for the moment still a pipe dream. 
yeah i agree the last mile needs to be done by a human because they have the ability to react to unforeseen and um dynamic environments like chaotic environments not just dynamic where there's right. some things happen right yep something runs out in traffic or an accident occurs in front of you or whatever yeah. yep absolutely let's keep going two more articles folks stick around Next article is in the continuity report, recasting Jason Bourne to reboot Matt Damon's $1.6 billion franchise in an industry where iconic characters are often updated. A few actors would have the capacity to breathe new life into the pop culture, defining the Bourne franchise. While Jason Bourne's legacy is undeniable, it now deals with the crossroads faced by many long running series with Matt Damon's tenure as the iconic Jason Bourne potentially concluding. Hollywood is confronted with the delicate task of seamlessly transitioning the character to a new leading actor. The question that persists is not merely who has the right attributes to inherit this cherished role, but who can bring new life into it. So this all this is uh, interesting because this is similar to the Seinfeld discussion. Yep, exactly. You try and reboot it. Uh, uh, this is why there is a reason why studios are embracing AI because the character, just like the Simpsons, the character never ages and he's like 52 years old. So why have a real life actor for what amounts to be a synthesized or a synthetic character to begin with. Now we have the technology to create a, a real life simulacrum, you know, not a, a, it is as close to human as you can get right now with the tech that we have available. So why not spin it up and have hyper-realistic animation? Uh, that's basically what it would be. Um, it isn't a real actor. But you could have other actors, other real actors interacting with this synthetic actor. Um, why? Because those other actors can lend humanity to it. I just right, and maybe they're new, but then you have the continuity of the main character. Correct. Yeah, there you go. That's the magic. That's the same age range. <laughs> yeah, perpetually, you know, un until the writer or the world builders that are in charge of it decide to age the synthetic person. And then what you do is you age the synthetic person and the other people can either be younger or older or whatever the context may be. It doesn't matter at that point. Um, but the the actual IP, Jason Bourne, it should never prematurely age if the scenario of the story, the world building doesn't nece uh, necessitate it. It shouldn't, the, the, the character shouldn't age, but that's not what happens. Obviously time takes a toll and 10 years later, it's a different person. Literally, it's a different looking person. 20 years later, it's dramatically different. And we got a taste of that when we looked at, um, what's his name? Never give you up. Never going to give you up. 
Oh, right. Rick Astley. Yeah. So th this never isn't a Rick roll. I think is the new one. Yeah. Um, just looks dramatically different in the time frame between the, and he was a kid. My goodness. He was a kid when never going to give you up was released. Anyway, the well, born look like a kid. He looked like a kid. Yeah. The Bourne franchise pulled in over a billion dollars and these actors have the ability to bring in much more as or in a Jason Bourne reboot. Um, Will Poulter's uh, proven ability to embody intense and complex characters makes him. Pardon me. Oh, that's not where I wanted to pause that. Um, make him an excellent choice to recast Matt Damon as Jason Bourne. Um, John Krasinski's versatility and charisma as an actor make him a sensible choice to reimagine the Jason Bourne character while honoring the franchise's legacy. I have a, there's a sour taste, um, regarding Krasinski because he had the good news, uh, YouTube stream. And that's right. The rumor was that he like sold it and then whoever bought it just killed it. Like it didn't have the charisma of the dude. So it didn't persist as far as I know. I don't know. Maybe I got that wrong. If anybody knows, get in touch. Let me know. I'm really curious because, uh, you know, the guy really has charisma. He has he has something about him that you kind of go, yeah, I'll pay attention to his acting. Um, and he Krasinski plays. Um, what's his name? Um, oh, the analyst. Um, Jack Ryan, I think. Yeah, Jack Ryan. Yeah. Anyway, um, Ansel, El I wish I could pause this. There we go. Um, Ansel Elgert's blend of charm and edge along with his physical abilities aligns well with the complexities of the born character, making him a promising choice to revitalize the iconic spy. There are many other great possible choices as well. So I'm not quite sure why the summary exists like that then. Um, so I would love for Jason Bourne to return, um, but without the character being in perpetuity, you have to, you have to hope that the people buy into the charisma and acting chops and, um, the character of the character. And if the, if the audience doesn't, if they don't like one little bit of it, they're gone and trying to claw them back is a real struggle because you have to get other people that they respect to say, no, really come back and watch this. It's really good. Well, right. And I think they go in with an attitude of, nope, this isn't going to work because yeah. I think it's not the original actor. Yeah. Not my Matt Damon, not my Jason Bourne. Yeah. So launched in 2002 with Matt Damon portraying the enigmatic Jason Bourne, the cinematic journey has enjoyed considerable acclaim and a staggering 1.6 billion in box office earnings across five installments. Five? Uh, so this article, four. this article has a list of 10. It, really? Will Poulter? All right. John Krasinski. I don't know. He seemingly uh, can. He looks kind of grittier. To me, Jason Bourne seemed almost baby faced. Like he wasn't 
grizzled in any way, shape or form, but he was still, you know, what amounts to a, a tactical nuke, you know, he, he was a one person crew. Um, I know some people flinch when the whole marketing about army of one came into existence. I don't know if that's still marketing for the military army. Um, but I don't know. Um, yeah, he was an army of one Ansel Elgert. Yeah. He looks like he could pull off Jason Bourne, but he's a little bit too broish, You know, I don't think Jason Bourne was broish. Richard Madden. That's number seven. Taron Egerton. That's from, uh, Kingsman. He's from Kingsman. Um, which (laughs) it's, it's Jason Bourne with, uh, with a lot of ha ha in there. Like there's, it seems uh, like right on the verge of being kind of slapstick and, uh, um, uh, what's the one with gold member? Oh, Austin Powers. Austin Powers. Yeah. Very like Kingsman. The secret service is almost Austin Powersy. It's just not as silly. Riz Ahmed. Michael B. Jordan. I haven't known at least half of these people. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. I guess your large language model needs to be large language video model. I guess it doesn't have a lot of celebrity data. I thought Chris Hemsworth was done. I thought he was taking a break. Is it somebody else that's taking a break? There's somebody else that's taking a break as well. Not just. Oh, I think you're right. I think he was. It, no, no, no. It wasn't Chris Hemsworth. Um, it was the other guy from um, Guardians of the Galaxy, the lead. <sighs> oh, uh, is that Pratt? Yeah. Pratt's taking a break. If I remember right. Uh, Daniel, uh, how do you pronounce his last name? Kalua? Kalua? I Uh, don't know this actor and I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. I mean, you've seen Nope and Get Out, right? No, just Nope. He was in Nope. So you may not have seen Nope. Um, but in Nope, he and his sister take over their horse training um, business and there's an alien in the clouds you've probably not seen it so and then aaron taylor johnson um let's see nocturnal animals is what they put in here kick ass no all right well anyway um there's a bunch the fidelity of this article requires you to go over and read it so the link is in the chat it'll be in the show notes go check it out and uh, come back tomorrow and talk with us about it let's go on to the next article so did you think any of those were uh, a strong pick for the next jason Bourne? yes several but we'll see the thing about it is i think that you have to be true to the character um otherwise you're going to have people walk um or Everybody has to grow to appreciate this new character, whoever they may be. Um, and I think that's a struggle as we have seen, you know, live actions are a struggle if they don't stick to the story. There's no real 
content there for Jason Bourne, as far as I know, right? Um, if there's book material, I don't know about it. Um, but now I'm going to have to go and look to find out. So let I mean, me go there on were several books, but I thought all the books were made in a movie. Were the movies, movies right? Maybe not. Yeah. I don't know if there yeah. was any additional world building. So let's keep going though. Uh, the next article is in the mobile channel. This is the final article for today. What happens if you force companies to reveal how much they contribute to climate change? California this week passed two laws that would force big businesses to report their contributions to climate change and the impacts of warming on their bottom lines. If you order, um, let's see, let me just scroll over to Umar, uh, sorry, Umer Irfan is the author of this article at Vox.com. California wants to find out what happens when you force companies to reveal how much they contribute. So the Golden State recently enacted two climate laws. One would make billion dollar businesses in the state like Apple and Google and Walmart and Chevron. More than 5,300 companies in total disclose their greenhouse gas emissions publicly. The second requires companies making more than 500 million a year to apply uh, more than 10,000, which applies to more than 10,000 companies to report their, (coughs) I'm sorry, climate related financial risks. One second. Well, I mean, I think this is a good direction if this catches on. Yeah, the thing about this is what's going to end up happening is you're going to get a huge, well, (laughs) the knock-on effect is that people are going to buy into it and they'll start changing their ways. Why? Because there's all kinds of public perception of you being a real slumlord because you're destroying the planet but making millions of dollars. Um, or you're one of the ones that won't release the data. So even if you aren't doing awful things, they might not like You're still that. doing, yeah, you're doing awful things no matter what. Um, but here's the knock on. Um, I know people that are in the lead certification industry. <laughs> they are going to get a huge uptick in major businesses hiring contractors to come in and audit their equipment audit their enterprise, audit their facilities, and then get them lead certified, various levels, da, da, da. So um, I can see this having a positive effect, but just like climate change, poor weather over there doesn't mean that the world is great because you have nice weather. Well, one state, one state, and, and this is where everybody goes, well, you know, they're doing their part. Yeah. Okay. One state positively impacting the, uh, what the entire planet. It's kind of like leaving the refrigerator door open, hoping that it's going to cool off the parking lot. No. it's not going to make that much right, of a difference. But others may take the lead from uh, this. I mean, it- it, it can assist. Plus, no. there's a lot of companies that are in, in California. Yeah, I know. But I still think that, and I'm not saying don't do it. Don't get me wrong. Um, and you said exactly what I would have expected everybody to say, which is, well, if they do it, then other people will do it too. Yeah. Okay. 
not if it negatively impacts their bottom line. They're going to do whatever is necessary to jump through the flaming hoop, right? They'll soak themselves in water just enough to get over it and, and go on. But they're not going to do anything else that they aren't absolutely freaking mandated to. Apple is, is actively changing its processes so that it can move the needle and, and be green. Why? Because it's customers demand it to, um, and it has an ideological bent on trying to make itself at least in stasis with nature. Um, it's hard to do when you're mining all kinds of material and shipping stuff all over the freaking place. But besides that, they're doing what they can of their own accord seemingly. But when the state starts coming down, like what the hell, what do you think is going to happen? Prices are going to go up. There's a whole lot more, uh, issues. So there's only so much bandwidth. I just don't, I don't necessarily see it as being a, a net positive potentially, but I think it's gonna, there's going to be some growing pains in trying to make this thing happen. Um, and disclosing it means everybody's needs to be audited. Well, so, I was going to say there's a huge compliance piece to this. Yeah. And I just don't buy into 10,000 companies supposedly being able to report their climate related financial risks. Hell no. No, not unless it's beneficial to them, you know? Right. But every single insurance company apparently is going to be pegged 110% on climate related financial risks, particularly the ones that won't issue any, um, uh, policies in California coverage or or in, um, Florida. So yeah, I think think this is going to be troublesome, but it'll be an interesting, I'm going to definitely get some popcorn and sit there and and watch this play out because I think companies are going to be really upset trying to explain okay the company is going to be impacted by the climate in this way or they're just going to put a little line in there saying "Eh, we don't really see much risk that's actually what i foresee happening yeah okay um that's it for tonight folks let us get back into the party bus and take us back to the front page hit the welcome sign. I'm working on a new logo, changing this from orange to blue. Um, we'll see if I actually make that move. Other things in the site have changed. You might have noticed that there's a little bit, there's a little bit more blue, um, in things. Um, I turn off ads by the way, for me, um, because it impacts it, it can negatively impact, um, hometown. Oops. <laughs> um, anyway, for you, you'll see an ad at the bottom of every page. That's it though. Ta-da. Oh, I'll refresh it. And yeah, so there's a whole bunch of new things that are coming. Next city builder from the creator of the settlers is looking pretty good in a new demo. I'm going to have to chase that one down. Um, there's supposed to be, um, a new 
game from Stardew Valley, the Stardew Valley developer coming out. Um, what else? Kingsman, Kingsman three. They're gonna start filming. Yeah, we just talked about Kingsman. I know. That's why that caught my attention. That's interesting. Um, let's see what else. Yeah, some of these are interesting. Green Lantern's new Red Lantern is the most powerful in franchise history. That's probably um, speaking specifically about the comic. The comic book. Right. I thought there was, and there's an interesting one up here about TikTok's EGX sponsorship in terms of what it means for the gaming industry. Mm, interesting. Yeah, we'll have to, we haven't really talked about this, but um, Europe gave, the EU gave TikTok CEO 24 hours to respond um to what was it it wasn't addiction um to tiktok it was something else oh oh i think i saw something about it i forgot what it was i can't remember the context of it so we'll end up we'll have to talk about it another time but it's getting late i want you all to be able to go and surf um hometown and come back tomorrow and hang out with us have a good conversation about the news so let's get going here i am mirwatt that is hometown.com. Well, hold on. That's hometown right there. Go over, become a citizen. You get some more features um, available to you. And don't forget to vote on the articles that you like. So again, I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI. You want to say uh, bye-bye? Good night, hometown citizens. We'll see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Oh, yeah. 8 p.m. Eastern every day. Hometown Daily. Talking about the last 24 hours of news across six main categories, 50 channels, which consist of niche news for that topic. Come and check us out. Thanks. Oh, and don't forget, there's a Discord, there's a YouTube, there's a podcast, there's a Patreon, the website itself, hometown.com. Um, there's a TikTok, <laughs> and they just notified me I can open a store. All right. Probably won't. You'll have to okay. do that. Sure. Hometown merch. Mirwatt in a gold thong. <laughs>